It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. And g'day, welcome to the call. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Thursday, the 16th of June. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have your company. Our two experts on the show here today, Gaurav Sodi from Intelligent Investor and Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital. Welcome to both of you. Uh, Luke, feeling more confident? Got some clarity from the Fed. We know where rates are going, at least in the short term. Does that give you confidence as an investor? Um, not necessarily. Um, you know, I think the, the market today feels a bit more of a, yeah, maybe maybe about certainty, a bit of a relief. Mm. To me, it, it's it's become clear, it sounds a bit silly because it's obviously been since the start of the year, but we're well and truly in a bear market now. And I think you can see, just by looking around the landscape, looking at the way people are talking about the market, talking about businesses, there's very little business analysis going on or the performance of businesses. It's very much macro, it's very much share price sentiment. Um, and so I think any sort of buy the dip mentality that we may have had in January and February, which you know has been ingrained in us for a long time, I think that's gone. And so we're in that bear market. And I know Henry Jennings, I listened to the podcast yesterday, he was talking about, you know, it's like a war, you know, and, and <laughs> you just got to survive. It is a bit like that. I think it's a time where People need to be really selective about their portfolios. Um, and it may be one where it's a, it's a cliche, but that return of capital being more important than a return on capital. Make sure the businesses you're invested in can survive whatever the worst case scenario may be. Um, economically, there's a lot of different ways it can play out. But from my mind, sentiment on the market itself, it's, it's well and truly a bear market right now. Yeah, well, in tandem, of course, with consumer sentiment at the moment as well. Gaurav, how are you seeing it at the moment? Interesting point also that Luke makes there as far as companies. Certainly the focus has been on the price element, not so much the earnings. Are we missing that? Yes, good afternoon, Andrew and Luke. And, and Luke, my apologies for not being there in person. Um, it's generally nice when we can sit together. But um, um, I agree where there's no doubt we're in a proper bear market, but I don't think we're in the deep depths of one just yet. You know, for me, I don't quite feel that panic yet. I still think there's um, uh, the, the, the flag wavers of the previous bull market are still uh, too um, uh, still dominant. Um, you know, crypto is at 20,000. I think it needs to be, well, closer to zero. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, I think uh, I, I read that Kathy Wood's still getting inflows. I think they've just stopped now. Um, so I think that that has to reverse. And uh, the Tesla share price um, is only starting to crack now. Um, you know, uh, there, there are two, there's, there's still far too much excess and there's not enough pessimism. We really need to see some some um, some dire predictions and some doom, I think, before we start getting to the bottom of this. But it's you, just a great opportunity. 
Well, um, just just more pessimism, Andrew. You know, I, we think about the heights of the optimism we've just gone through, where valuation meant nothing, where stories and ideas took centre. Um, that has to reverse entirely. And it started, there's no question about that, but I don't think we're far enough into it yet. Um, and I'm just reflecting on my own behaviour. We all get caught up in these things as well. One of the lessons that I think um, I'm going to take out of this personally is... Um, I had forgotten to sell stocks. You know, the lesson of the last 10 years, you're rewarded by holding and never selling. Mm. And, um, and that's something that's, that's turned out um, as, as a punishing reminder that you need to sell on occasion as well. Um, and every investor is going to have their own lesson. Everyone is going to have their own story. But this is a proper bear market. Well, that's why you're here today, because you're going to give us a buy, hold and a sell, presumably at some course, given the 10 stocks we're looking at, plus our, our stock of the day. In fact, let's, uh, let's take a look at what we're going to talk about in the first half of the show. Clean Sea, Seafood, uh, Totomic, uh, Bowen, Coking, Coal, Megaport and Steadfast Group. And our stock of the day, Link. Shares taking a beating this morning, falling to a two-year low. That's after the ACCC uh, scrutinised its pending takeover by Canadian software company Diane Durham, saying it's about significant competition concerns. And Diane Durham standing, stands to gain a 42% stake in PEXA if that deal goes ahead, uh, through which the regulator says will affect uh, property conveyancing industry and in turn Aussie home buyers. So that's why it's taking a look at it. Link saying it will vigorously defend itself against those proceedings. So, um, Gaurav, what are you thinking then of Link and just obviously that regulatory concern that's now front and centre? Of an emboldened and rather aggressive a triple C. We've seen this several times now. Um, the most prominent being with the TPG's takeover of, uh, well, merger with Vodafone, which I would have thought is a really sensible um, uh, acquisition and uh, would have done the market quite quite well. But in fact, um, that was blocked. Now this has been investigated. Um, I think there's more reason to investigate this. You know, PEXA is effectively a monopoly. It was created to be a monopoly and is behaving like one. The returns are sensational. The hands of this in private equity, I can understand why it will make the regulators take another look at it. But this has, has ramifications for takeovers all the way down the line. I think Alliance Aviation will be looking at this very carefully with Qantas. I, I don't think they're going to get a clear run. And in fact, I think the Alliance share price, if it's not down today, it ought to be, um, because I think this has um, implications further down the line. Anyone who's now looking to, um, to take over um, a competitor or, uh, or integrate, um, I think we'll face a more, uh, is clearly facing a more aggressive ACCC. That's the takeaway from here. Um, for Link in particular, Link is, has been a weak business for a long time. It's going to be ripped apart and sold uh, in one way or another. Um, and, and I don't think this will be an impediment to it. It's probably going to mean a much lower price. Um, I have no interest in it myself. Um, you know, the, the, there are clear cultural problems inside Link, poor management for a long time. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've got no interest in, in this business at all, Andrew. Okay, all right. Um, <clears throat> Luke, so Gaurav makes a, a good point there just as far yeah. as the hand of the, a, the ACCC is concerned and the ramifications for other potential takeovers here. Yeah. Um, it's why it's always so tough going second after Gaurav because I, <laughs> I don't really have anything else to add. I think he's absolutely <laughs> nailed it. Um, it's, it was a bit of a surprise to me because PEXA is already a monopoly. Um, so, you know, you're talking about who owns the monopoly rather than the actual monopoly being created itself. Mm. 
So the signal there to the market from the ACCC is, as Gaurav correctly points out, this is this is something a little bit, uh, not so much they're going past their powers, but they're, they're certainly going to places they probably haven't really pushed before. And, and mm. um, I'd actually forgotten about that TPG Vodafone, but that's another good example of, of, of that. So um, very interesting to, to then <clears throat> sort of apply that thinking to the, the rest of the market if you are someone um, looking to consolidate market share, particularly in spaces where you are creeping towards a, a monopoly um, or, or something getting close to it, ACCC will probably take a close a close look at you and, and, and not afraid to, to, to try and knock them back. Um, and then to, second to Gaurav's point, I agree completely with his take on Link. This is the oh, top of my head, fourth or fifth time someone's taken a look at Link and, and walked away. Now, well, sorry, I guess D&D haven't walked away yet, but I suspect they would like to, um, given their share price is down 50% from where it was. Um, so there's something, you know, there's cockroaches in the kitchen here with Link. Gaurav's right. There's pieces of the business that are probably decent in the right hands. How it finds its way to those hands, wait and see. Um, but I'm not the sort of investor who sits there and tries to, you know, um, run a sum of the parts valuation and hope that value can be unlocked. So I'd, I'd be I'd be staying away from Link. Um, and I suspect something like this hangs over the share price for quite a while. I saw in the AFR that merger ARB funds have yep. essentially walked away thinking that, you know, this is probably the last chance Link had to, to be taken over yep. as, a, as a full entity. Yep. Okay, so looking a bit stinky at this point, uh, but yeah, uh, interesting point just as far as what this means for other potential takeovers. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get into it. The stocks as picked by you. The first one is Clean Sea Seafood. Uh, it is a seafood production company specialising in sea cage aquaculture of yellowtail, um, mostly in South Australia. Recently uh, had an institutional pla- uh, placement of raising $25 million, uh, as it seeks to grow globally. Uh, Ollie wanted to know about this, saying it is a bit of a tough track record, but uh, seems to be turning around. Uh, Can we add it to the watch list? So, Luke, what are your thoughts there? And and obviously, it's it's one of those businesses where it's um, very much, you know, uh, beholden to the the weather, Mm. um, Mm. which is clearly a challenge. There's a there's a lot of factors, which means this is the sort of business I'm not a big Mm. fan of. Um, you have to invest a lot of capital up front. You then take on a lot of um, aquaculture risk in, in this example or, or agric- agriculture risk in other, in other places. Um, and then throw on top of that, they're also very difficult businesses to analyse, particularly from the point of view of um, applying general accounting principles to them. You know, you have this um, revaluation of biological assets, a lot of assumptions go into it, um, and cash flows are extremely lumpy. So, look, I, I went into it expecting to be, you know, pretty mediocre about the whole thing. I agree with Ollie's point, though. It does seem to be, he's used the term turning around. It's For me, it's more like a lot of these businesses, you invest a lot up front and then, you know, for lack of a better word, harvest the, you know, the, the gains further on down the track. It seems like they're pivoting more to that point where large capex is now probably behind them and you can see some good cash flows come through. Um, and, and you do see that. You go back and look at their, their quarterly cash report, you know, operating cash flow positive, even free cash flow positive, which is nice. Dig a little bit deeper under the surface and you can see there's some working capital stuff in there. They stocked up on inventory, on, um, on, on feed um, during COVID and sort of wound that down a bit. Um, so I, I just have to question about where that normalises, um, you know, as to whether they have to restock up on, on feed inventory at some point. Um, and the other, at, at first glance, the other thing that I noticed was their um, growth in their biological assets hasn't grown in line with sales over the last year or two. So it sort of suggests that you're not, 
investing in that future you know harvest of, of your of, of your fish um, and, and sort of reaping the benefits in the short term so the numbers can look good short term and, and sort of poor a long term as, as um, those bills come due um, there's interest around the sector though um, Twiggy Forest picked up I think it was Huon Aquaculture um, and, and that makes sense these are assets that probably shouldn't be listed the mm. the pressure of being a listed business and reporting you know steady increase in profits and sales is difficult for a business like this to do and they're probably better off being private where they can be managed without the scrutiny of the public market um, so look Ollie look I think keep it on your watch list if that's what you want to do um, if you own the stock I, I didn't see any massive red flags to suggest going out and selling it they're, they're getting to the point now where you're seeing a, a genuine business come through um, but for me it's not my sort of stock where I'd, I'd come and buy it today yep okay Gaurav yeah Luke's uh, probably mentioned the most important point there which is around accounting and recognizing what actually counts as profit in a business like this now there are a couple of competitors to well, competitors, peers, I would say, to Clean Seas, um, Huan and um, and Tassel being among them, they've never consistently made uh, free cash flow or profits. The accounting here is is diabolical. You really need to understand that because, um, uh, as, as Luke sort of indicated, um, as the biological asset fish in this case, as it grows, um, the value of the fish actually gets recognised through the profit and loss statement as the fish grows. So simply by the passage of time by doing nothing but watching their fish grow, their profit can actually increase. And so it can be very misleading and it can lead to um, uh, wild errors in analysis if you don't understand the accounting. I would say the the, uh, the income statement's pretty much useless and goes straight to cash flow. And it's a bit disappointing. I, I also noted the um, uh, the very big changes in, in working capital when I don't know what, what normalized working capital looks like. These these are details that may sound boring to a lot of people for a business like this where the profit is not very meaningful. These are really important questions. Um, these guys um, own 98% of or control 98% of the kingfish supply in Australia. They're basically a kingfish monopolist here in Australia and they still can't generate consistent profits which is something of a concern now the, the biggest market for kingfish outside of japan is in is in north america about 70 percent they have a three percent market share over there and i just you know to grow to be successful they really have to take market share in in the in in north america and i don't know really what the plan is there i'm not convinced that this is a anything other than a than a commodity and it's going to be difficult to um to capture additional markets market share in a foreign market um, I do like the fact that they're vertically integrated, so they control the uh, the growth of the fish and the, the brand and the distribution. So that's something in their favor. It appears to be reasonably well managed, but I just don't think this is an opportunity. I, I wouldn't be buying this at all. Okay. Um, there are far better businesses in this environment to be looking at. It's an avoid for me. Okay. All right. All right, let's uh, move along. We better pick up the pace. Uh, to Tomic. Uh, it is the world's largest and fastest uh, metal uh, additive manufacturing process. So that's the blurb for the company. Um, it's recently uh, entered into a joint venture in the UK. Drew asking, is now a good time to invest back in Australian manufacturing? Saying, it's a big call, but this company seems to solve a few technical problems. I am a long-time investor and have followed the company for some time. But he's not invested in it yet. So Gaurav, should he be? Wow, this is a, a pretty easy question to answer, actually. This is a $40 million business that's unprofitable, has no cash flow, has to raise capital to stay in business. 
there are profitable, dominant businesses falling, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% at the moment. Uh, you know, I, I just think you've got to weigh up every opportunity against, against a competitive opportunity. And um, I can think of 40 stocks just off the top of my head I would rather buy before even taking a look at something like this. And I don't understand the mindset that, you know, we're in, the, in a proper bear market, stocks have fallen, good businesses are now at, at interesting valuations, if not outright cheap. And I, I, this is not the place to look at. This is, I don't think this is where the opportunity is. This is not the place to look at. I, I don't like the presentation. They, they, the first thing they do is they note a TAM, of, a, TAM a total addressable market of 150 billion. Look, uh, no, there are much better opportunities than this. Uh, and, and we'll go through a couple of them today, hopefully. Yeah, avoid. okay, all right, and avoid. Um, Luke, uh, any interest? It's sort of in that aerospace defense sector. Yeah, look, I, I looked over the presentation similar to Gaurav. Um, a lot of the um, language and technology I described was actually pretty familiar to me because I own a business called Laserbond, which does similar surface coating um, technology. Um, that's a profitable business. And, and I've sort of noted here to Drew, you know, maybe take a look at that as a sort of peer to something like this, but it's already well down that path. I agree with Gaurav completely. And further to that point, I think the biggest mistake investors can make right now is to look back at where businesses like this have been during that euphoria. And, and the natural thing to, to try and do if you're a, a new investor or still learning the ropes is you see these stock prices down 70, 80, 90% and assume that they're cheap. But you can't, I mean, just ignore where these, where these businesses have been, um, you know, for the last couple of years, because that was not a normal operating environment. As Gaurav noted in the, in the open, that was very much driven by narratives, which this business gives you in droves. Um, we are now in a market where it comes down to you know raw hard cash flow and, and this business nine mil cash in the bank burned three mil last quarter so not for me I'd avoid it if you want to get into that sort of if you're interested in that technology technology drew like I said have, have a look at Laserbond, which does something similar but profitably okay all right just to give That's you a, some idea yeah. um, mm -hmm. just, just just to give you some idea I mean in my in my personal investing and, and you know when we're looking after uh, client money subscriber money um, the key question we're asking is, is where can we find um, a free cash flow yield in the double digits? And if it's a very high quality business, the free cash flow yield has to be in sort of the mid or high single digits. That's the sort of return we need to be thinking about. This is not the time to buy unprofitable ideas. And this is just a science experiment. All right, okay, big avoid from both. Moving on to Bowen coking coal, um, Malcolm wanting to know about this, uh, mentioning that uh, in April it was discussed on the call by Mark Gardner and Gary Glover, mentioned environmental approval for its Isaac River project in Queensland. No discussion though on the commencement of coal mining in its bluff open cut mine. Also announced that it intended to start mining in its uh, Broadmeadow East, Burton and Isaac River mines this year, ramping up production target over the next two years. Coal, Luke. Well, we know the problems in terms of energy sources at the moment on the East Coast, but of course, it's one thing to actually have some coal deposits. Uh, you've got to do something with it too, but also given the longer term outlook for coal as well. Um, this is something that Gaurav will, will have much more insight than myself. Um, my first thoughts looking at it was, 
I think this is a space where you've got already producing peers on, on free cash flow yields. You know, Gaurav, correct me if I'm wrong, 40, 50% maybe at spot prices. Um, double that, Luke, double that. <laughs> double that. Um, <laughs> and so I sort of think as interesting as this looks, why take the execution risk? They're close to bringing their minds online, but obviously things can things can happen and go wrong. You've already got peers out there producing cash and, and doing buybacks and paying large dividends. Um, so as interesting as it looks, I, I don't see the need to come down into this sort of risk. But um, Gaurav could actually add much more, um, you know, analysis to the business itself. Gaurav? Look, I, I apologise. It sounds as though Luke and I are just patting each other on the back here. But um, <laughs> <laughs> he has just, he's 100% correct. I mean, that is the exact way I would think about this as well. This is an interesting business. Only 500 million market cap. They've, um, you know, they've done some interesting stuff. So they bought um, the mine that they just started now. They bought from Macca, which is a uh, engineering business, and they actually took ownership of that mine. Um, I believe it was as payment um, for services rendered uh, when their customer couldn't really pay in cash. Um, and then they went off and bought a couple of mines off New New Hope Corporation, uh, which were too small and and inconsequential to, to New Hope. And they're working on trying to get these up and running. And so far, they've got one of them up and running and they've got approvals for the other two. So it's not it's not a crazy idea, but I think the way to think about it is that you've got uh, Whitehaven is probably on a free cash flow yield, free cash flow yield of about 80% at the moment. Um, uh, something like Coronado might earn its market cap back in 12 months and, and ditto for New Hope. Uh, the, I don't understand why you'd be wanting to buy this. There, there is an easy win in those, uh, in those coal miners, and um, and this is just you, you know I think I think you know again I hate quoting Buffett, but um, one of one of the things that comes to mind is I think he said that you don't get extra points for difficulty, and and that rings true here. You're taking additional risk, making life a lot harder, and you're not getting anything um, extra in return. So stick to those producers. Um, I would caution that the coal price is now looking silly, and I think there's a lot of demand destruction on the way, and um, I would be a little bit bit more cautious about coal. And this is coming from you know the the, the cheerleader in the in the space. I, I don't think this is the time to be headlong rushing in and, and, and buying coal. Although, you know, I think if you're sensible with your allocation, there is still opportunity. All right. Okay. So, no so this, is, this is an avoid and, and stick to producers. Yep. No points being a hero then. In other words, in that regard. Okay. Let's move on to Megaports. Uh, Ken wanting to know about this. It has uh, reached multi-year lows, uh, share price down about 70% since the beginning of just this year alone. Uh, brokers having reduced its valuation to reflect lower earnings estimates due to its price reductions for its services. Um, Gaurav, what are your thoughts then on Megaport? Yeah, look, I, I've been negative on this for, for some time. Um, we, we own uh, a, a couple of data center businesses and, and I've been a big fan of data centers. I think data centers are still um, misunderstood and the Australian investment community does not understand them um, as well as uh, they might. Um, but this one, I think, had the opposite problem. I think this one earned so much love and adoration, had such a great story. Um, the share price looked absolutely silly. And it's a still an 800 million market cap for a business which I think doesn't really, um, I, I can't tell when it's going to turn profitable or how much money it's going to make. And and that's the problem. Again, you're weighing up an unprofitable idea against, um, against lots of other companies that look far more interesting. Um, for those who don't know, Megaport owns um, 
uh, it, it's a it's a kind of a hardware um, uh, and and uh, an infrastructure business that allows you to transfer data from one um, uh, data center to another without actually having physical infrastructure in those data centers. So it's, it provides a valuable service. Um, it saves clients money and time, and it's an important product. And, and I think it is a good product. Um, it's just um, it, it's so stitching all that network together um, with dark fiber, making the deals with the data center operators. That all takes time and money, and I'm not sure when that's all going to um, flow through um, to free cash flow. Um, so for me, look, uh, look, uh, this is still an avoid for me. I, I know it's come down a long way. There is a price for Megaport. It's it's not a it's not a terrible business by any means, but um, but I, I just think you want to be careful about buying these unprofitable idea stories at the moment. Mm. Um, and there might be further to go. Um, I don't know what the price is, and, and that's what makes it difficult. Um, it's a company that I, that I think is interesting, but I just don't know what price to pay for it. So, look, I, I would stick with the data center operators. Um, they themselves, um, you know, Megaport has been very cheeky in that they don't recognize mm. data center operators as, as competitors. Um, NextDC mm. has its own um, network that competes with Megaport, as does Equinix, as does any big data center operator. So. I'd be very careful about assuming this is a monopoly. So um, okay. this remains an avoid for me. All right, Luke, I think you're going to expand on that point, aren't you? Yeah, um, Gaurav mentioned it at the end. It was I looked at this business a few years ago and I couldn't get my head around the, the big competitive advantage they had just to that last point Gaurav had, which was I saw a world where if you had data centres as a very... Um, disparate network of small providers someone like megaport could come in and provide a very valuable service of connecting them all basically but that hasn't been the case data centers have completely consolidated to the big giant companies now managing you know hundreds or, or you know some of them thousands of data centers around the world and they're able to provide the exact same service megaport does within their own data centers now look some larger businesses may not want to be reliant on a single data center provider and, and use someone like a megaport to, to split their um, their, their load across different providers. But I, I, I think Gaurav's right. They've been a little bit cheeky in sort of outlining the addressable market of this cloud connectivity without sort of acknowledging that a lot of it gets captured by the actual data center providers themselves. Um, I agree with everything you said. And I, we're, we're backpatting um, a lot here, but um, <laughs> it's, it's a $100 million revenue business. So there's, there's a, a real business there. And, mm. and I, I'm guessing that today you could probably have, you know, uh, a hard-nosed CEO come in tomorrow and 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 you know turn this business profitable with some 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 tough decisions and, and probably some bums on the street you know um, so you know it's not one I think you just outright avoid forever yeah. um, it's not the right market obviously for it now even you know they'll, they'll end up burning close to um, you know 100 million dollars this year um, wait and see whether they're able to to wind that back but um, look there's a, there's a business there, not right now. Keep an eye on it. Um, and just as Gaurav sort of pointed out, be aware there are competitors there, even though they may not want to acknowledge it too much. If you're holding it, what do you do? Because given it's come off so much. This is a, that's a good question because there's a lot of stocks like this at the minute where you've got genuine businesses and they were at some absurd prices. They've pulled back to, you know, this, this isn't cheap. It's obviously much more reasonable than where it was. Mm. Um, I, I would probably hold it, but I would be very mindful of wanting to see management show that path to profitability. We're in a market now where the market is screaming at all these businesses loud and clear that you know free cash flow sustainability is now the is now the goal. It's no longer just growth at all costs. Um, so 
if Megaport comes out in the next report and show some cost control and show you know a, a clear path towards profitability, that would actually give me a, a fair bit of confidence to to you know maybe not buy it straight away, but to yep. at least really have a good hard look at it. Okay. For these businesses that continue on this trajectory they're on, though, mm. they're only going to keep going one way. Yeah. All right. Let's move to Steadfast Group. Dan, wanting to know about this. It is the largest general insurance broking network uh, and underwriting agency in Australasia. And um, Luke very much uh, has been on the acquisition trail at the same time. Yeah, look, it's a, this is a, a very good business. Um, it, it has held up very well in the current market, which when you think it through, it, it probably makes a lot of sense given they are positioned exceptionally well as a capital light business that clips the ticket on, on the um, insurance premiums. So in an inflationary environment, as our insurance premiums goes up, these guys just get an automatic you know, growth to their revenue. Um, it's just it's run extremely well. They've given you high single digit organic growth, just like clockwork year on year for better part of a decade. They acquire exceptionally well, um, and they're very smart with their acquisitions, where they take equity stakes but allow, you know, the the founders and vendors to to remain invested alongside them with with um, a minority equity investment, and then of course you build the scale behind those smaller insurance brokers and provide technology platforms, better access to. Um, to um, insurance policies and a better network um, in, in total. So look, it's about 25 times earnings, X the amortization of those acquisitions. Um, where we've come from in the cycle, that's a pretty you know okay price to pay for a business like this that can you know, easily compound into that valuation over a couple of years. In this environment, as, as Gaurav sort of points out, I think you're seeing a lot of other businesses that are just as decent quality as Steadfast trading on some some much more interesting valuations. Um, I probably wouldn't sell it if you're there, if you, especially if you've held it for a while and you know it's it's a good chunk of your portfolio. There's no reason to go and sell it. Mm. But if you're someone sitting on the sidelines today, as good as this business is, I think that valuation, you can go and find others of a similar quality that, that offer a better um, a better entry at these levels. Okay. It's held up it's held up remarkably well. Gore? It has held up well and, and I think the market is well aware about of its um, of, of how it benefits from in, in an inflationary environment as insurance premiums rise, um, and I think we're in a insurance market where premiums are going to rise. Um, uh, these guys just just clip the ticket on that, and and they automatically collect um, higher revenues as a result of, of higher premiums. Um, when I first looked at Steadfast, I, I was. Um, convinced it was going to be a, a lousy business. I thought, look, these guys are just a middleman who don't provide much value. And I wasn't, I didn't think it was going to be a very good quality business. And um, I'm happy to say I was completely wrong about that. I think this is an outstanding business and they provide a super valuable service. Um, so when, when you know, we think about insurance typically as, as a, as a homogenized commodity, you know, when we look at house or car or, um, or uh, you know, itemized insurance, um, but in fact, businesses require really specific um, insurances and um, and they need someone to sit down and go through their requirements and pick out the right insurance and the right value. And it's a very individualized, personalized kind of service that they need. And so the broker plays a, a pivotal role in insuring um, a small, medium and large businesses. So Steadfast is, is essentially a roll up of lots of small brokerage brokerages and they uh, effectively buy the broker buy the customer and um, and it ends up being uh, if, if they're disciplined with their purchasing price they can end up being quite an effective economic model 
Um, these guys have been very disciplined. It's a very well-run business. One of the things I struggle with it is that it generates lots and lots of um, cash flow, lots of free cash flow. But then to grow, it, 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 you, you then need to go off and continue to buy other um, other businesses. You have to continually be on this acquisition trail. And I'm not sure how to treat that um, in terms of free cash flow because you know you, to grow, you do have to put money on board. So. Look, that, that's a question for um, for investors. And I would agree that the valuation becomes too Gorev. I, I think that's right. And there's a competitor, a very good one, Osbrokers, who's doing exactly the same thing. They butt heads occasionally, I would imagine, and that would raise mm-hmm. prices at some stage. Okay, so I, I would agree with the conclusion there that um, that 25 times, and and you, you're right, you never want to deduct that amortisation because it's lots of takeovers. Um, 25 times is a fair price to pay. Um, I don't see an opportunity here, but this is a high quality business and you probably want to hold it at a fair price. All right, okay. Well, let's summarize where we've been for the first half of the show. Then we began with our stock of the day to link, given uh, the intervention of the ACCC there. It is an avoid from both. Uh, in terms of the five stocks that as picked by you, we began with Clean Sea Seafood. Uh, we've got a bit of a trend here happening in the first half of the show, I say, which is, um, not surprising, I guess, both being really discerning. It's all about discipline at the moment in this current market. So uh, Luke has a, uh, he's watching it, a uh, potential hold there on clean seas, an avoid from Gaurav to Tomic, um, an avoid from both. And uh, just as far as Bowen coking coal is, con- is concerned, once again, an avoid from both. Uh, Gaurav pointing out there's certainly other alternatives out there. Uh, Megapoint, once again, uh, and evolve uh, and avoid I should say I said evolve uh, it is maybe a hold there from Luke given how far it's fallen and he wants to see some positives emerging from the company and finally their steadfast group a hold from both all right so the call is tracking our own high conviction fund picked by our investment committee the latest episode of that committee meeting live for you to watch at osbiz.com let's check in on the portfolio update West Farmers, Elders, ResMed, they were added this month, shifting the original allocations. So far, well, our fund is down 9% on a cumulative return basis since its inception on March the 1st, reflecting just how difficult the market has been over the past couple of months. So keep sending in your requests and keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Okay, the second half of the show, we're going to take a look at car sales, Breville, Firefinch, Imogene, and WiseTech. So, car sales. Uh, Jason saying, if you could please ask Gorev uh, for his view um, and uh, what uh, future growth of car sales overseas businesses he sees. So, Gorev, over to you. Sales, yep, look. Everyone knows this is a high quality business. Um, this enjoys one of the most powerful and enduring competitive advantages, which is um, a network effect. And you know, over the last five, 10 years, network effects have been um, almost um, uh, religious in, in the, uh, in the um, devotion they inspire 
um, and this has a powerful one. This is this is an excellent quality company. Um, it's I think it's tapped out in Australia. Um, they they still get a little bit of growth in Australia, but really. Um, uh, you'll be looking in the overseas markets for, for the majority of, of, the, of the growth for the company. And um, I'm happy to say that there's actually an excellent international business there. Um, uh, the South Korean NCAR is, is, a, is a market leader and is growing double digits, ditto for web motors in Brazil, market leader um, growing double digits. There's a little American business there that's not a market leader, but I think it's a specialist um, in in its field, and and that's growing as well. So the the international side does look interesting. It is doing very well. One caution I would have with car sales is that the margin has gone from twenty percent to thirty percent over the course of the pandemic, and I do wonder with the mayhem in used car sales, anyone trying to buy a new car would, would understand and recognise that. They're effectively priced um, as the same as a new car now. So you've got um, um, in, in huge inflation in the new in the used car market, and I think that's translated to um, over earning um, and higher margins for car sales. And I, I think I, I question whether these margins are sustainable for car sales. You know, in, in five years from now, when new cars go back to depreciating, um, you know, I, I don't know whether they'll be able to hang on to some of these margins. Um, it's it's at thirty times earnings. It sounds very dear, but they generate lots of free cash flow. And I'd rather look at this on a free cash flow basis. Um, and at that, I think it's sitting at four or five percent. I think that's a fair price to pay for car sales. I don't think it's an opportunity yet. So it's a hold for me. Um, hopefully, you can get pick this up a bit cheaper um, during the next couple of months. Okay. Um, so, Luke. What do you think? Um, yeah, again, the the perils of going second behind Gorav. Um, it, it, he's right. It's it, this is a mature business in Australia. Um, you know, their, their compound annual growth rate over the past few years is, is high single digits. Um, it's it's not what you'd expect from a from a tech platform business. Um, but they, you know, as Gorav points out, they they milk that quite well. Um, generate very good free cash flow and, and are using that to invest overseas. Uh, with the logic behind, they've you know got the expertise of creating a platform here. They know what needs to be done and, and how to do it, and, and you know um, sort of using that to, to do the same in these emerging markets. Um, I think Gorab's exactly right, and I saw the same thing. If, if you see this spike in earnings um, post COVID, and I, I think it's um, first level thinking suggests that's probably to do with used car prices. I, I can't think of anything else from a behavioural point of view that would. Um, sort of explain that um, and so I think that's a big risk to this stock is, is the normalization of that over the next few years those earnings come down um, and the multiple you're paying today it's not excessive but for a business that's over earning that's a dangerous combination where earnings could uh, potentially flatline or go backwards and, and maybe some multiple compression as well um, from a business point of view Gorav's right and I think it's it's a little bit misunderstood the the network effects they have um, when Facebook really pushed Facebook Marketplace and a lot of, um, you know, person-to-person used car sales um, does go through Facebook Marketplace now. People thought that may be the end for for car sales, but their network effect effect is much more in their dealer network. Um, You know, they're connected to thousands of dealers around the country, and that's the the car sales network effect, where Mm. if you're wanting to search for used cars that are on a dealer's lot, there's only one place to really go. So... Um, look, I come to the same conclusion. I think it's a hold, but I think it's a very careful hold. I don't think this is a hold where you put it in your bottom drawer and, and you know you look back in five, ten years. 
This is one where I think you've got to really watch it over the next two or three years is that in the US, used car sales have already rolled over and mm. starting to normalise. And, and mm. we'll see that here. Um, I think they're a little bit ahead of us. So you've got to watch that closely and, and, and what that means for, um, for car sales earnings because the multiple you're paying today, I don't think it compensates you for the risk. Yeah, it perhaps comes down to that discretionary spending, which I was here. Mm. Everyone is now sure. pulling back on, which takes us to our next stock, which is Brill. In fact, Jason, he's been a bit cheeky. He's asking about this one as well. Um, <laughs> so, Luke, um, given it is consumer discretionary, how are you looking at a stock like Brevel then? Well, hopefully Jason didn't listen to Gaurav and I back in early April when we both said buy on Breville and uh, would be sitting on a 30% loss right now. Um, look, this is, this is very interesting of how quickly this market has moved. Um, so you look at Breville as, you know, Gaurav and I both outlined it last time, it's such a high quality business, the, the brand they've created and been able to um, export overseas. Um, most businesses really struggle to do that, to take their Australian brands overseas. They've been able to do it, you know, very successfully um, to the point where, you know, it's not even an Australian business anymore, really. Um, you're paying 15 times EBIT. Now, of course, the big question becomes as, exactly as you outlined, where do those earnings go in the next few years? The market is, is obviously pricing in recession, big hit to consumer discretionary spending and someone like a Breville being impacted by that. Um, I suspect that's true. Um, and so, you know, in the short term, I think Breville probably does see some earnings weakness. Um, but I know Howard Coleman likes to come onto the program and talk about businesses like Breville who have a dominant position in their market. When you do get those downturns, the long-term opportunity when your less capitalised competitors are flushed out of the industry, you consolidate market share even further. You're able to use your balance sheet to, to drive investment and growth just as your competitors are forced to pull back. So, you know, again, we said we said buy 30% higher, Gaurav, um, when it was about $25. Mm. I think even then we both caveated it with this is one where, you know, you're not going out hand over fist today. Mm. I think this is a business, again, the quality of that brand, even despite the headwinds that you may see over the next few years, if you can take a five, 10 year outlook for this business, mm. average in your position, don't go crazy with it because that momentum is well and truly against you. But to me, these are the sorts of opportunities Gaurav was talking about at the start of the program with high quality businesses um, now on some very interesting valuations. Um, so what are you doing with it? Um, I would I would still say buy. Okay. But again, it's not it's not hand over fist. Go and buy this position today. It's yep. it's you know slowly average into it. Be very cautious with it, and be prepared for it to be volatile. Not just at a share price level, but even at an earnings level for for the next couple of years. All right, Gaurav. Yeah, look, there's very little for me to add there. Look, we actually just as we well because we're running out of time. Pulling. Yeah. <laughs> we have we we are we are we have started nibbling on on, on Breville and. Yep. Um, I think position sizing is is the nuance that you have to pay attention to here. This is clearly an outstanding business. The I think the risk is that it has been over earning over that COVID period, and you could see sales margins have actually been flat. This is not an mm. exploded, but the sales have risen by fifty percent over COVID. So you you might see sales um, stagnate or fall over the next few years, but. I, I would completely agree. This is exactly the kind of high-quality business that might be going through a cyclical funk over the next short time. Um, this is the time to start building your position. So I would say go slowly, um, but go. Buy for me. 
Okay, all right. As I said, we're running out of time, so we better lift the pace. Uh, our next one is Firefinch. It is a Marley-focused uh, gold miner, but also had lithium. Phil wanted to know, uh, he wants to get an opinion there, given it recently demerged that lithium asset, Leo Lithium. Um, so, do you see more value now in Firefinch? Um, and also questions whether we should hold that and both uh, Leo. Um, he says he's got a, a decent long-term risk tolerance. Gorev? This has been a pretty good um, deal that management has has stitched together, actually. So Firefinch owned um, a, a, a gold mine, a very famous gold mine, it must be said, called the Marilla Gold Mine in, in Mali. Now, it's famous because 20 years ago, when this, this mine first started producing it, it came out with astonishing grades. There were there, this is an um, uh, an open pit mine, um, and in, if you have an open pit mine, you generally be happy with one one and a half percent grams per ton. And these guys were routinely, for the first uh, first few years of life, we were doing fifteen grams a ton. It was a it was a monster. In fact, they called it Marilla the Gorilla, um, which is a, which was pretty cute, I thought. Um, but um, it's it's actually been um, been in uh, it's been dwindling and it's been sold by its owner and Firefinch picked it up and they want to restart the mine and they're starting with tailings and stockpiles and they're going to use that to then generate the cash flow to get the open pit up and running to explore where the previous owner did not. Um, so I think what you really have here, you don't really have a mine. You have um, you have an exploration project with a ready source of funding. And look, I, I come back to my original point. Like, look, mm. I, I just I would not be buying an exploration business at, at this point. In fact, yeah. at any point, I'm not interested in explorers. There are wonderful gold miners available on the ASX that are properly cheap. Gold might be one of the most hated um, parts of the market at the moment. Um, mm. Well, apart from from tech, one of the most hated profitable parts of the market at the moment. And I think you can you can pick up decent gold miners on the ASX without. The Mali risk without the exploration risks that you have here, so I would avoid okay. uh, Firefinch. All right. Um, do we go on to Leo Lithium? Or oh, just very quickly, we're pretty much out of time. Yeah, we, we just well, what would you do with it? Leo Lithium. Um, there's it, it's not it's not crazy. There is a big uh, there is a big d- deposit of aspodumene here. Gang Feng, which is a, a serious Chinese. Um, uh, producer has uh, has provided uh, funding for them, and they'll take fifty percent of the output. Mm. Um, but there's no real path to processing, and it's 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 my belief that the cream in the lithium business is taken by um, uh, processing raw spodumene into a hydroxide, and and you really want to buy a producer who can do that. Yeah. Um, and and Minres fulfills that function for me, and and this one does not. So look, okay. if you really really keen you can hold it but I, I wouldn't be doing it myself it's still an avoid for me okay all right luke um I, I agree with that um conclusion that we're in an environment now where i just don't see the need to take on all the additional risk of you know bringing the mine back online taking on the geopolitical risk of being over there in mali when you've got these aussie producers admittedly the gold price probably isn't doing what people would like in this inflationary environment but the aussie dollars giving them a nice a nice little kick along mm-hmm. um just quickly though i just wanted to say to phil who wrote the question i think the way he's thinking about this this stock is very interesting he doesn't own the stock but he's sort of saying 
saying with that spin-off spin of Leo Lithium, um, you know, is there going to be some sort of a rationality where those people who just wanted a lithium asset now sell off the Firefinch? Mm. I think it's a very good way to approach the market. As, as Gaurav sort of points out, having that contrarian thinking and saying, is there an opportunity here because people aren't being rational right now? Um, I wouldn't necessarily go for it, Phil, but I just wanted to say I like that, that style of thinking about okay. opportunities. <clears throat> yeah, fair enough. All right. Uh, moving on to Imogene, uh, Brittany wanting to know about this. It is the biotech company working in cancer immunotherapy. Um, most recently, though, it was hit with uh, termination of a supply agreement with Merck. Luke. Um, not one I've ever looked at too closely. Like, like for these biotechs, I, I just sort of say they're outside of my field of expertise and it takes, it takes me five minutes looking at some of their announcements to quickly reinforce that when, when some of the language gets thrown around. Um, they're very early stage, most of their drugs are still in phase one. Some interesting partnerships, but as you pointed out, one of them with Merck was actually ceased, which I, I couldn't get a great insight as to exactly why or the impact it would have. It was almost a little bit glossed over, I suppose, by management. Um, they are cashed up, so you know if this is the sort of stock where you are interested in, uh, it's mostly cancer drugs, if you think there might be something there, um, these guys can ride out probably two or three years. So in this current environment, they don't have to worry about coming back to the market for funding. You know, for me, it's it's not yeah, it's not the sort of stock I would I would even really look at. Yep. But Brittany, look, if it's like I said, if it's a small portfolio, small part of your portfolio, and, and you know you sort of acknowledge it's a punt, that's one of the better ones in that biotech space. Okay, Gora. Um, uh, this is going to be very simple, Andrew. I, I do not know. Um, you know, it, this is um, it, it's at that clinical stage now. They're they're trying to get. Um, they're trying to activate the immune system of cancer patients. It's a, you know, I, I, I hope they do very well, but mm. I just don't know how I would assess this. You know, I, I'm just not qualified. I, I don't mm. know. I looked through the presentation and my overriding uh, view was I have no idea what they're talking about and, and I don't know. There's no there's no profits here, but um, but that's not really why you're buying this um, yeah, yet. Well, so look, the, if you know, if you know something say, about it, go for it. The exec team looked pretty solid, Sorry, which that's always, you know, it's, it's one thing to look at. Who are the people behind the, you know, the idea or the product? They looked they looked pretty good. Their resumes, you know, yeah. they obviously don't know the space and that, but their resumes look solid. So it comes back to that point of understanding what you're investing in. Yeah. All right, okay, just let's wrap it up then with WiseTech. Andrea wanted to know about this. It is the software as a service a logistics company and uh, it was promising so much on the share price last year, it's come off some 40% since the beginning of this year, Gaurav. Look, I haven't looked at this for years and I was quite shocked when I, when I, when I looked at it for today because there is a lot of cash flow here. Um, Looks like it's trading on sort of two percent free cash flow yield. No, I haven't gone through the accounts. I don't know whether that's an anomaly or this thing is really working. But this is one of those battleground stocks, and and if those numbers are correct, I think it probably ceases to be a battleground stock. And and now we can look at this and uh, without all the controversy and 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 say, look, it, it appears that the product is working. Um, they and, and there might be something here. I, I, look I, again. I wouldn't. Um, I need to, to take a closer look at this. But what they're trying to do is. There, there's a shot here. There are a shot of actually um, owning the entire profit pool in this business, uh, in this market, and and that's the opportunity. We're not, you know, if you're buying today or, or holding today, you're not really holding for a, a two percent cash flow yield or more ten percent higher profits. You're holding because these guys are a shot of owning the entire market, and um, and that is interesting. 
I, I just put a hold on this for now. It, it needs a lot more work, and um, I'm quite unfamiliar with this stock. But um, it surprised me how much money was coming out. So um, mm. kudos to, to them. I do like management. I've heard um, I've heard them pr- um, um, present a few times, and I've been quite impressed with them. Uh, so it's a hold for me. Okay. Yeah, Luke, did run up hard last year, come off significantly. How's it look valuation-wise? Yeah, look, it's still expensive, but we're nothing if not consistent because I started the show agreeing with Gorav <laughs> and I'm going to finish the show agreeing with Gorav. <laughs> this was this was a battleground stock. There were short reports on this stock and, yeah. and, and a lot of negativity around it. Um, and it reminded me of corporate travel, Gorav. I'm not sure whether you saw the same thing where the big negativity around the stock was how many acquisitions the business made. And, and, the, and the, the main short thesis is, how can you make dozens of acquisitions and know what you've acquired and integrate them all and what's really there? And then the, the claim is that always, well, once those acquisitions cease, we'll get to see the real business. That sort of happened, and I agree with Gaurav. It looks solid, like, you know, it's still getting some genuine organic growth, spitting out free cash flow. Um, I think they're over-earning just in this supply chain environment we're in. They even talk about increased usage from a lot of their customers. So go back to what we're talking with car sales, where the last thing you want to see is those earnings pull back a bit on a high multiple and you get the double whammy as an investor. Um, but, But I came to the same conclusion. For what was a battleground stock, I think it's pretty clear now this is a genuine business. It just becomes about what price do I want to pay? So mm. 40 times EBITDA, um, I'll, give, I'll grant them that, that valuation because as Gaurav points out, their cash flow converts quite well. A lot of businesses use EBITDA and, and that's not the case. Um, that's a bit too steep for me. Um, Andrea, who sent it in, if you own it, I'd keep holding it. There's nothing, mm. yeah, I, I agree. The business, that last report was, was very impressive. Um, for someone on the sidelines, I think just maybe see another couple of updates come through, particularly as these supply chains hopefully start to normalise what what happens to those those revenues and earnings. But um, for what was a battleground stock, I, I think maybe the war's sort of over. All right, okay, <laughs> let's, <laughs> the war's over. Um, all right, let's sum it up for the second half of the show. Car sales there, a hold from Gorev, a careful hold from Luke. Uh, Breville, they both recommended a buy on it a few months ago, uh, has come off significantly, but they're doubling down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Luke's buying it. Um, Gorev's essentially nibbling at it at this point. Five inch there, um, an avoid from both. Uh, Imugene, no to both uh, there. And finally, WiseTech, a hold. All right, Uh, that is the call for today. Luke, thanks for joining us from Merriweather. Thank you. And also, Gaurav, thank you for joining us also. Always great to catch up. Thank you. All right. And any stocks, of course, you'd like us to cover. Flick us an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au, or you can tweet us at TV. And a reminder, you can find those stocks we have in the calls portfolio. Head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.